Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low-as-can-be APR, zero deposit required, and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered Renaults. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. You're very welcome to a brand new week of Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Hope you all had a lovely bank holiday weekend. It wasn't the weather of this time last year. That's for sure. Moisture, lots of big winds and it looks like that trend is set to continue for the next 10 days or so. I'm sorry to tell you I'm the bringer of poor news to you at the start of a brand new week but that's the reality it seems from the weather people. Congratulations Liverpool. Well done to you on winning the Champions League. I have to say... I was delighted for them because they went so close in the league this year, lost the final last year and they are now champions of Europe. Well done Liverpool, the city of Liverpool, your club and all your fans around the world. Great, great achievement. Now let me tell you what's happening on late lunch this afternoon. Team Carry, yes we're with them since the very beginning in 2010. It's their 10th year and it will be their final run. David Carey will be with us after three in the show today. There's a problem with a new walkway in Tully Allen. Anne Carlin will tell us all about that. Dr. Syve Gallagher is home from the United States and she's a plastic surgeon originally from Louth Village who specialises in gender confirmation surgery. She'll be with us after two in the show. But first up today, no need to remind you, it's that time of year. The state exams start tomorrow it's pressure, social media addiction and heightened expectations all round have made it more difficult than ever for students to study and focus on exams. For stressed students, motivated mums and dedicated dads, June means one word, stress, stress, stress. Now over the last 10 years, teen coach and study skills expert Ray Langan, you know him well, he's been with us on Late Lunch many a time, has delivered seminars, listen to this, to over 30,000 students in 150 Irish secondary schools in study skills, social media safety, leadership and well-being. And he's revolutionised the art of studying and exam preparation in his highly innovative and unique approach to studying with his Raise the Game seminar. And guess what? Yes, we've managed on this day, the day before the exams, to encourage him and inveigle him to join us on late lunch. Ray Langan, what an introduction that was. Day by day, we raise the game, Terry. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great to see you again. Thank you for joining us. Look, tomorrow it all kicks off. Here we are, half past one on the day before. This time tomorrow, the first exam will be complete. What do you say? Talk to students, first of all, today. What should they be doing today, Ray? Well, today is a day to stay cool, to stay calm and to stay in control. So today is uh, today is actually a really good day because now is the time to actually put the last 
of your bits and pieces into place and to go into the exam tomorrow with confidence. So I would recommend that students today do something to put their mind at rest. So the last minute preparations, to go over the last few notes and to be kind to yourself, to actually to look after yourself and to make yourself laugh. So tonight I would recommend to any student is to get the last of the uh, stationery together, pack the bag for tomorrow and to watch a good comedy. So put on some Kevin Hart or uh, maybe a bit of Only Fools and Horses. Who hey knows? Ray, this is not the <laughs> night then for cram, 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 staying up late, going into the early hours. Is that a totally wrong approach? Well, uh, people will be cramming and look, there's no doubt about it that at this stage you know, that you will, uh, most students will be pushing hard, especially for leaving search students who are pushing for the big points junior search students this is their first set of state exams so yeah I'm all about cramming but to make sure that really after 8 o'clock this evening you're starting to wind down because it's important that tonight that you get a good night's sleep so it's really about um, you know going into the exams now uh, with the energy with good energy Now I know in the introduction there I alluded to this social media pressure that's there as well Now Ray am I being an innocent here saying this to you should they just cut it off you know this thing of tic-tacking with friends being on social media you know right through the night at times with some of them should you close it down this evening and just take a break? Well, I mean, social media, I think, in many respects, is a good thing. Mm. Uh, If you're, you know, not sitting at home alone, panicked or worried, and you are communicating to your friends and, you know, uh, uh, you're sharing in that bit of anxiousness. Um, But tonight, after nine o'clock or ten o'clock, is to get the phone off. We know about the blue screens, all of that type of thing. Is it serving you by texting your friend at twelve o'clock tonight saying, you know, is nutrition coming up in biology or you know, what poet is coming up and then you're going to get panicked uh, at the last minute. So this is where I do think that, you know, from six o'clock this evening, put the curfew on, turn off the phone and, uh, as I said, turn on uh, something that's going to make you happy and relaxed. So a moratorium Ray knows from this evening. Are you listening, students of Junior and Leaving Sir tomorrow? And if your mum and dad or whoever's looking after you, you know, gives you a little jib on that, understand what they're saying as well. So let's get an early night. Try and sleep as best you can. So tomorrow morning, what should the drill be? Up early, a good breakfast all of that I mean uh, tomorrow's about preparation it's about getting up early getting the bag having, making sure your bag is is, is together um, and, and something to make you feel good and make you feel confident so what I talk about in my seminars is something simple like putting a pint of water beside your bed the night before first thing in the morning uh, when you wake up is to hydrate 70% of the body is water 70% of your brain is water yet if you're not getting you know at least two litres of water into you before you've hit the exam then you're dehydrated when you're dehydrated you can't think properly so hydration is the best thing you can do for your cognitive function in order to think better so into uh, the exam hall you go down you go get there in plenty of time I think this is common sense stuff surely everybody knows this to give themselves you know enough time to be there yeah, and especially now when it's raining, and we know that, add 10 minutes. So whatever your time frame is, just add 10 
minutes because the last thing you want to be doing is, you know, sitting outside the school or you're a mile away, you're caught in a traffic jam, it's 25 past nine, the exam is starting at half nine. So get there, you know, half an hour early. I try to always try and get somewhere 30 minutes before, but to add 10 minutes to that. So give yourself a buffer. And it's the same in the exam. Timing is crucial in exam. So whatever time you think you'll have, give yourself a little bit of buffer for everything. And specifically, as I said, with the bad weather, having a 10-minute buffer uh, is crucial. Now, people go in and the paper's produced and suddenly that can produce alarm bells ringing all over the place with a cursory look. But isn't it so important to take your time? I remember this from all these years ago when I did it, Ray, at that ain't today or yesterday, to take your time and really absorb what's in the paper. Set that side of time. You need to do it. Yeah, and I know what it's I Look, I've had a panic attack before in an exam. I know what that's like. And for a lot of students tomorrow, you're going in nervous. It's the first day. But my program's called Raise the Game. And I, and I get students to think of school, their studies, and an exam like a game. So right now, if you are nervous and you're, you know, you've played rugby or soccer or Gaelic or basketball or camogie or whatever your game is, think of it like a big game. And tomorrow we want to get the first game out of the way, moving. We're into English. It's a good subject to start with. And, you know, this is one where you can get your confidence going. So, you know, when that when you're sitting, when you walk into the exams tomorrow, um, I recommend you don't ask people, you know, what do you think is coming up? You know, put on your earphones, listen to some good music, make sure you have some water. As I said, have a good breakfast um, and to walk in with confidence. I always tell students to focus on not 9.30 when you're nervous in the exam, but to think about 12 o'clock or 12.30 when the exam is finishing and to imagine yourself walking out happy in the knowledge that you've done well. Like there's there's good stress and there's bad stress. OK, so either way, tomorrow you're going to be stress, stressed or anxious or nervous. That's a given. The thing about it is, is what you do with that stress. So when the nerves kick in, it's to actually have something in your head to say to yourself, oh, it's the nerves. It's the, I know what that is. It's just my body's way of protecting me. That's a little bit of nervousness. I'm just going to push that to the side and focus on the exam. And if you get really stressed and really nervous, this is where you have to breathe. So again, getting regulating the breathing, because what happens is, is when you really get panicked, what happens is our brain gets pulled into the emotional part of the brain. And that's like, have you ever gone blank? That's, oh, yeah. That's, that's, that's like in a big game when someone or so you're out in the yard and someone pushes you from behind, and you get a fright. So you're pulled into a different part of your brain. When we get the breathing going, that's when you get back into the thinking part of your brain. And that's when you can actually relax and to think properly. So it's all about get breathing in the exam. I, I've read where you say that during, say, the three hours of an exam, if you feel you need a break or a toilet break, take it. Absolutely. And, you know, li- literally to have a half time in the exam, you know, so after you've worked through, if it's a five, you know, if there's five questions on the paper, like the first five minutes, you suspend your time, just just getting the breathing going, regulating yourself, preparing, saying, OK, I've got five questions or six questions, whatever it is to have a quick skim through the paper, read the paper properly, start off, everyone says, with your best question. So to underline the, the actual question itself is using words like list, explain, you know, define, to actually ask yourself, what, what are they asking me here? And then, you know, after you've got your first question out of the way, maybe the second question, after about an hour, maybe take a little break, go to the bathroom for a second, again, just to recalibrate. It might only take two minutes, come back in, and now you're into the second part of the exam. It is like a match with this fella, that's for sure. <laughs> the game, this is a game. Um, 
no need to say that if there's five questions, let's just say, and you have three hours, you should apportion out the time. They're taught this in the schools anyway, I know this. And staying to the end of the game, is that very important? Oh, yeah, a lot of people... And here's here's the mistake lo- loads of people make. What you start to do is you start to see who's getting up and walking out. And if you are on the fence, you know, and the big thing is you will see, well, there's my maid, Barry, or, you know, there's, there's Josephine or whoever it is, and they've left the exam early. I'll go out and follow them. So to forget about your friends, you've got to focus on your exam. You've got to focus on your future. And, you know, if you think after three years of the junior cert, two years leaving cert, uh, you stay in an exam for an hour and a half, um, you know, are you going to give your, give the best representation of yourself in that time? Use the time. Often you'll get that extra 10 or 20 marks just by staying to the end. That last 10 or 15 minutes is crucial. And this is where also in the exam, after you've finished all the questions, to go back and actually review what you've done. And sometimes just getting that extra little definition in. And this is why in the exam script, give yourself a little bit of space after each question. So leave that half a page afterwards so that if you do think of something, you can go back and revisit it. And that extra five or ten, you know, minutes at the end can be an extra five or ten percent, which could be a grade, which could be the place in a college. And answer all the questions. Don't don't leave any out. That's another uh, old adage that still rings true. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing where people leave out a question is when you get caught on time. And this is why the night before the exam, actually just go through a, a past paper and to to know how many questions are on the paper. And also, don't forget, you won't have your phone in the exam. A lot of students read the clock off their phone. So now you have to go back to the clock in the exam hall and your watch and to make sure that you say, OK, I've got 35 minutes for this question, to actually know that if you start at 9.30, you've got until five past 10 and to clinically move on to the next question because 80% of students get caught for time. And if you're a question short, that could be 20%. Whereas you're better off being clinical with your time and getting through all the questions. And that way, then you can get a higher score overall. It's massive. It, it really is. Now, when you finish the first day, and hopefully for most people, all goes well, and you come out of the exam hall... What's the drill looking towards the next exam? Is there an afternoon exam tomorrow? Have they two or just the one? Yeah, tomorrow? no, they, they do. In uh, in junior cert, they've got CSPE. Okay, leaving cert. And leaving cert, then you will have home economics. Okay, so there's two. So let's say you go into the second exam, follow the same drill that you're yeah. talking about here. Now, when you finish off for the day, what? should you do? Come on, tell us. Well, it obviously depends on the students. Some students come out, they don't want to talk about it. Other students want to go over every single part of the paper. This is where the moms and dads out there, this is good to have that listening ear. Um, The big thing for any student, I think, is you have to keep it in the day. So after you've come out of the exam, have a chat about it. Obviously, some people are going to be very disappointed. Some people won't want to talk about it. But to just leave it then, give yourself a little bit of time afterwards to think about it, talk about it, and then you have to move on to the next one. And for some students, you know, if you're gunning for big points and you've been really disappointed with the exam, it's imperative that you try and cut that off and move on to the next, uh, the next, the next exam the next day. So give yourself a buffer of an hour afterwards to have a chat about it, have a think about it, and then you've got to switch gear.
into the next day. It really is like a contest in that if you have a bad one, you have to put it behind you and you're about to kick off again afterwards. So your analogy rings through with an awful lot of this stuff as well. And it's sometimes difficult, I know, for young people to do that, to put it out of their minds. And that's why in my programmes I focus on process, not points. And it's when you do the process, right? What do I mean by that? Well, Rory McIlroy goes out to play golf, but he's not focused on, you know, getting a 62. He's focused on, you know, hole by hole, shot by shot. Uh, you know, I'm a big Liverpool fan. Uh, great weekend last weekend. But again, it's a bit like going through the Champions League. You've got to focus on game by game, round by round. And that's the way the Leaving Cert and the Junior Cert is. But for any student, when they approach it like that, you know, one paper at a time, one subject at a time. And one of the things I recommend is actually print off the timetable for the next two weeks, put it up on the fridge, put it up on your um, the wall in your house, and then to mark it off and put an X through it, and then you're on to the next day. So to focus, focus on it day by day. Ray Langan is with me on Late Lunch. Have you a question for him? Here's your opportunity. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or across our social media, or you can call in on 1850 over the last decade, listen to this, he's delivered motivational talks to over 30,000 students in 150 Irish secondary schools about study skills, social media safety, leadership and well-being. He knows what it's all about and we're going to talk more after this short break. Ray Langan is with me from uh, Raising the Game. He's a guy who knows everything about exams, how to approach them, how to deal with the pressure, get through them in the best possible fashion. Talking about fashion, Ray, just brings me to it. Clothing and what you wear. How important is that? Because normally we associate exams with blistering heat outside. This year is going to be a little different. This year could be cold. Mm. So it's to make sure the last thing you want to be is in an exam hall and you're freezing. So, you know, it's to make sure that you're wrapped up. You know, your hands could get cold. This is where the break as well, just to get up and move around. Um, that's what I talk about my study skill sessions is active learning. So it's to get up from the desk. So it's whatever you need to do to energize. Um, so the more energy you have, the better. Uh, no Red Bull, by the way. That's one of the things. Some students be up now tonight hammering in the caffeine. Um, lots of water, as I, as I said. And I talk about dress for success. Like I always wear black. It's like an anchor. It's like you walk out and you feel confident. Now, for students, they have to wear their uh, uniforms, presumably. Um, But even today, I was coaching a student and he's big into his uh, GAA, big into his football. I said, have you any winner's medals? And he said, yeah. And I said, put a winner's medal in your pencil case. And when you do get nervous or anxious, look at the winner's medal and that'll anchor you back to a time when you were successful and you've had to overcome the odds in order to succeed. So maybe a medal, some people put like, uh, you know, it could be a little uh, religious symbol or something, whatever your thing is, but something in the pencil case just just to anchor yourself back. Um, and I know before when I was doing professional exams, I used to put my business card on on the desk just as a way of kind of reminding myself why I was doing the exams. Um, but for lots of students out there at the moment, again, leaving cert brings an awful lot of pressure for points. And I just want to get across to to all students out there that there's there's many ways to skin a cat today. So, you know, as somebody who didn't get the points the first year around and it was so, you know, difficult at the time and you know if you if you do you know if you do have a bad week 
it happens, but there's many ways now to, to go through that. So, you know, if you feel English didn't go well for you and you needed a high score, then, you know, there are alternative ways into the academic right. system through the different... Uh, yeah, groups. absolutely. And, and you're an example of that as well. I am in a way too, and many others that I know. And, and the one thing to say, yes, there is pressure and there is a big ask of everybody and it affects everybody, not just the student, everybody close to them as well. But it's the beginning of your journey in life in a way well for an 18 or 17 year old or a 15 or 14 year old this is this is their first you know big big set of Mm. pressure and for for a young person today they're thinking oh you know i have to get these points and i have to have my life figured out to pick this course and everything is going to be amazing Uh, it doesn't quite work like that and you know life is a series of obstacles the leaving cert and the junior cert is, you know, your, one of your first major hurdles to cross. And this is actually teaching you skills in which to negotiate challenges in life. So, you know, um, for, for any young person today under that level of pressure, the, the thing is you don't have to have it figured out. If you don't get your first choice, that's OK. Sometimes maybe, you know, something was saying to you, your first choice is not for you. You know, sometimes your second could be your first choice, only you didn't know that. You know, Ray, it's interesting you say that. I think back to my own uh, generation and ilk who, who went through leaving certain that way. And I'd say if you went back and looked, what they set out on initially or hoped for, very few actually have ended up there in life. And, and that's the reality. Yeah, I did commerce in UCD. I trained as an accountant. I worked as an accountant. And today, you know, I'm a teen, teen coach, uh, psychotherapist, you know, working with lots of teenagers. You know, I didn't set off on this path 25 years ago. I'm very blessed for the work that I do today. But for any young person today, just to, to, I suppose, bring it back to them and their exams, that, you know, examinations are opportunities to show people how good you are. Don't be focusing on what you don't know. Focus on what you do know. So today I would be sitting down with each subject, my English, and I'd list down my poets and I'd have be focusing on the ones that I do know. So now it's about focusing on what you do have in your toolkit. And a lot of students are all about being perfectionist. So, you know, when they come out of the exam, they think about, oh, I got this wrong and I got that thing wrong and I didn't do that question right. Think about the questions you did right. Yes. So focus on what you have as opposed to what you haven't. Focus on what you did well as opposed to what you haven't done well. What about the mums, dad, dads, the guardians, people, you know, responsible for these young people across the board? What do you say to them today? What should their modus operandi be from tomorrow on and through the exams? Yeah, and uh, it's about being a good listener. It's about, you know, uh, being supportive, encouraging, uh, creating a warm environment at home, getting the stationery and the few bits and pieces. Um, but also one of the big things that I, I, I talk about in my parents' seminars is helping your sons and daughters be as independent as possible as soon as possible. So not buffering them from the hardship and the realities of, you know, exams toughen you up whatever way you want, you know, they they, they build resilience. And sometimes, uh, and and my own father gave me the gift of of failure, failing a maths exam in my mocks, but I didn't fail the actual exam. But he actually made me go in and face the exam. So exams help us build resilience. They help us build self-control and confidence and all of those things. So for for any moms or dads out there, it's it's lending that gentle, supportive ear to be encouraging and to uh, and to just make sure that they they gently nudge their son and daughter through the next week and a half. 
So it's providing that home atmosphere that's conducive to a relaxed uh, presence for everybody during this period of time. Not always easy to to nurture. Look, the next two weeks, like for all families, it's it's it, it's it can be a very stressful mm. and difficult time. And obviously, all moms and dads out there, uh, they just want the best for. Uh, their son and daughter. So it's, you know, again, listening, uh, you know, popping in and out to the room with a cup of tea uh, and just making sure they get there on time. They know what exam is coming up, but not to be doing it for them to actually, you know, allow your son and daughter to 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 project manage this thing themselves. And folks, like anything, very soon it'll be all over. It'll have gone as quickly as it arrived. And this is where, you know, next thing they're coming in looking for the big holiday in Ibiza or this, so wherever. <laughs> where, where, they're stressed for you now. Never that, mind this stuff. That's 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 the real stress. Um, <laughs> but it, look, it's it's going to be over very quickly. The next ten two weeks, uh, and then it'll be it'll be past. And that's another thing. This moves really fast. So just approaching it day by day. Ray, thank you so much for joining us on Late Lunch today. It's been great. And on the day that's in the day before, we say to all students, the best of luck to you all in junior and uh, leaving cert and do your best. That's all you can do. Yeah, and I always get students to remind themselves, you've got this. You've put in your two, your three years, you know, you're, you're going to achieve and to focus on what you have. And you've got this. You can do this and you will achieve. You've certainly raised the game today for so many, Ray Langan. Thank you very much for joining us again on the show. Thank you, Jerry. Competition time on late lunch in conjunction with Windsor, Clonee, Nissan and Peugeot who are celebrating their 192 Open Day this Saturday. We have a €100, Euro one-for-all voucher to give away today and each day this week on late lunch. Nice prize. And that's not all. If you enter, you'll be included in a draw at our live broadcast from Windsor, Clooney, Nissan and Peugeot this Saturday for a chance to win an, amly, an annual family pass to Dublin Zoo. That's a lovely prize as well. So how do you win the €100 Euro one-for-all voucher today on late lunch? According to AA Route Planner, if you set off from Clooney to Kilkenny, how many kilometres would you travel? The distance from Clooney to Kilkenny on AA Route Planner, how many kilometres is it? Is it one two seven? 130 or 131. 127-130-131. Pick your answer and text it or WhatsApp it immediately to 086-1800-658 with your name and details and we'll pick a winner before the end of the show. My next guest has been on my radar for some time. Dr. Saif Gallagher is a plastic surgeon specialising in gender confirmation surgery based in Indianapolis in the United States and originally from Loud Village. And I'm delighted to say... She's with me on late lunch today. Sive, you're so welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Not at all. As I said, worth waiting for is the phrase <laughs> in my mind today. Thank you for coming in to us on your, on your trip home on this occasion. We were talking about the Leaving Cert, but Ray, you were listening there out in reception earlier right. on. And can I quote you? You say you still have nightmares. Why? I do indeed. Well, I think, I think a lot of us do still. It carries on into your adulthood. I remember I was out running this morning. I saw the school bus going by and I think it starts tomorrow, the Leaving Cert. And, you know, I feel bad. It's just, it's a lot when you're young, you know, when you're 18 and your, you know, career kind of depends on it, you know, but... Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, I'll, there's plenty of other stressful things I've been through, but that stays in the in the brain. Lovely. Altogether. And so, that's what I wanted you to say. And we yeah. were just saying that for students facing it into it tomorrow. But here, come on. 
you got the points for medicine. What are you talking about? Oh, well, eventually it was hard work, though, you know. <laughs> but it's worth it. I mean, the hard work is definitely worth it, you know. And for things like medicine, it's, uh, you know, over the years, there's plenty of times I wondered had I gone down the right road, but absolutely. You have, and we're going to hear why as we talk further this afternoon. Were you a SWAT? Uh, I was. I had no life till I was 31. Yeah. I, and I mean, that included the leaving cert the and leaving college cert, mm-hmm. and beyond. Yeah, yeah. If anything, I probably worked a bit too hard uh, in hindsight. And because I missed my 20s altogether, because I was I was in a hospital for all of my 20s, working 100 hours a week uh, doing surgery. And I came out at the end of it, kind of came out of all the training at 31, very kind of burnt out and thinking, did I do the right thing at all? <laughs> but then once I got into practice, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, it was definitely well worth it. So. Oh, hundred hours a week and you didn't come home much at that stage. You missed no. a lot of family occasions, yes? Yeah, well, I think that's probably one thing I didn't understand. It's not it's not the hard work, you know, that is the downside of it. It's missing out. You know, all the weddings and birthdays and anniversaries and all those sort of things you miss out on because you're at work, you know. And in my case, uh, I work in the United States. So I used to come home about once a year, but sure, it's gotten so much better now because I'm out, I'm kind of my own boss to a certain extent and uh, I come home as often as I like. So now I'm the other extreme. I, I never miss anything, you know. So I come home about every three months and I've even come home for a week. <laughs> you know what you're but doing? You're making up for lost time. I absolutely am. Yeah, yeah really, yeah, you are. But yeah. that ethos, you are in the States and based there and very successful you are. Is that the ethos, the work ethos over there with, with an awful lot of people? It definitely is. You know, it's, I mean, work is uh, kind of worshipped a little bit over there. You know, I'm not sure they have the right idea because when you look at happiness levels around the world, you know, the United States wouldn't be at the top. And it's, yeah, I find there tends to be a lot of busy work, maybe. Uh, that was something I thought we did better in Ireland because I was an intern in the matter for a year. And I remember we used to, you know, when you get your work done for the day, we'd all kind of, it was great teamwork and you'd hand over the page and head off, you know, home for the day and we'd cover each other. Whereas in the in the States, you really have to, you have to be there, you know, for the 12 hours or whatever it's going to be um, or somebody will be looking for you, you know. So I'm not sure it's the be-all and end-all and certainly, you know, work smart, not work hard, I, I think uh, is something I'm still kind of learning. Um, but definitely throughout training, you know, particularly I did general surgery first before I went into plastic surgery. And general surgery is a lot of life and death stuff, you know, so and you're you're in the hospital for 100 hours a week, you know, and just, you know, sleep deprived and all those things. It's uh, an awful lot of time to spend at your job, but you did it and it's history at this stage. Right. What, you did general surgery, you mentioned that you went into the general surgery first, but right. what took you towards the plastic surgery aspect? Yeah. Well, so plastic surgery, I would say it was something that always fascinated me. I was exposed to it while I was still a medical student at UCD. Um, I went out to Atlanta at the time and watched some surgeries. And I remember at the time just thinking, like, this is Frankenstein stuff. It was stuff I didn't think was possible. You know, they were taking off, for example, free flaps. They were taking off parts of the body and it was off the body completely. And then they were sewing it back on underneath a microscope. You know, so it was absolutely amazing surgeries, number one. Number two. I've always enjoyed art and you know it speaks about the leave insert I did art and the leave insert you know and I always kind of dreamed of being able to marry that um 
you know, I for the aesthetic uh, with my work, and definitely you can do that in plastic surgery. It's it's very important, you know, and that's why I absolutely love this field. It's it's going to keep me well entertained, uh, you know, for the rest of my career because you can always do better and better. General surgery, you know, is taking out gallbladders and things like that. It's either in or it's out, you know. But for example, if you're building a new nose or maybe doing some of the general affirmation surgeries I do, you can keep getting better and better and just become a better master, you know, as time goes by. You know, we've seen this face transplantation. Isn't that just a remarkable thing? Have you come across any of that? Yeah, yeah. Well, so certainly, you know, there is a point when a patient has maybe a very bad trauma or a very bad cancer um, that there's only so many things you can do with trying to use different body parts to rebuild them. And particularly when it comes to the face, you know, the eye is very used to looking at faces and your eye will pick up very quickly if that face is deformed, you know, which is kind of devastating uh, for a patient. And also on top of that obviously the face does a lot of other functions. We've got vision, taste, smell, all of that going on there. So what what they found was, you know, the first face transplant, of course, was in, in France, but in now they're becoming more common in the United States because for that patient who has a very devastating injury, um, sometimes it is the best option. The downside of it, of course, is, you know, that lady in France died since from a complication mm. from the medications, you know, so the, the medications because, you know, you're taking somebody else this tissue and your immune system is always going to try and reject it so you have to take immunosuppressants but it is something I've treated a patient um, who had a face transplant at another institution and we have a pretty close by where I am at Cleveland Cleveland Clinic they've done a few um, and you know we've heard from their visiting professors so between that and hand transplants that's another thing that's within the realm of plastic surgeons really the key is getting the drugs better you know, so we don't have so many problems with the drugs. So anything is possible. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So on a day, you can move from, you mentioned a hand transplant to nose to, it right. can be a very interesting day, I'm sure. It, yeah, I mean, plastics, the other thing about plastics is we operate in all ages and all parts of the body. And even I remember my first day on call in plastics, I was getting calls about burn victims. I was getting calls about webbed toes. I was getting, you know, um, accidents involving the face, cuts, dog bites. Um, hand surgery, fixing bones, nerves, <laughs> tendons, you know, so it's really a, a very, very diverse field. And, you know, plastic surgeons are kind of considered the surgeon's surgeon. It's everything that sort of falls down the cracks between specialities oftentimes we end up doing. So Now, beyond plastic surgery, you've been drawn to a very specialised area and a very important area as well, transgender surgery. Mm -hmm. Again, how did you make the transition or what prompted that? Yeah, well, um, probably my interest started in that probably about seven years ago. And then I remember the first time I saw one of these surgeries, the the genital surgery, so that was a male going to a female patient. So we call that a transgender woman. Uh, So the first time I saw that surgery, my mind was absolutely blown. Um, The surgery is a kind of very elegant surgery. You're using the analogous parts to fit them back together again uh, to make the organ. 
organs and they work very well and it looks good. So you can kind of completely rearrange it. So probably I'd have to admit my first attraction to the area was just uh, kind of in a nerdy way, sort of like looking at the surgeries and just the, my mind was blown by them. But then um, after getting to know a few more people who are transgender personally and having more experience in the field, I began to kind of really fall in love with it because the transgender community, certainly the medical profession's history with the transgender community hasn't been great over the years. There's been a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of bad treatments and, you know, there's a lot of work uh, to be done. So that kind of became my niche uh, about five years ago and it's it's really kind of grown from there and I absolutely love doing that work. It's the most meaningful work I've ever done. I want to get into the nitty gritty of the transgender surgery. So we're going to take a break. And I just want to say to our listeners today, if you feel this is not for you or maybe you have younger ears listening, you might like to uh, turn away for a short while for the next 10, 15 minutes or so, because I'm going to talk to Dr. Saeed Gallagher about the uh, nitty gritty, as I said, after this break. Dr. Saeed Gallagher is with me. She specialises in gender confirmation surgery. Let me uh, read this definition to you. Gender dysphoria, the condition of feeling one's emotional and psychological identity as male or female to be the opposite to one's biological sex. And really that sums up transgender people, Saeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I would say is there used to be a lot of misunderstanding in the medical profession about what it was to be transgender. Firstly, we used to think that if you identified as transgender, um, you were mentally ill. And now we know that's not the case. Just because you're transgender does not mean you're mentally ill. And we've seen the WHO come out and announce this last week. Um, And, you know, I would say probably my transgender patients are amongst the most sane patients I've ever treated. But where the illness is, is this gender dysphoria, this profound discomfort and sadness a patient has um, because of their body, because of how it looks them when they identify as another gender. And it used to be that back in the dark ages, the medical profession thought we had to change the mind to fit the body. And now what we understand is that simply doesn't work. And so we now understand through medicines or surgery or whatever is appropriate for that particular patient, we change the body to fit the patient's identity. And this gender identity is the most important thing, uh, certainly from the patient's uh, well-being point of view. I take it there's a a rigorous process before somebody actually is on your operating table. Right, right. There absolutely is. And, you know, it takes... I'm very lucky because um, it's unlike, for example, cosmetic surgery. If a girl decides to, you know, increase the size of her breast last week, there's nobody screening her or really, you know, helping her think through this decision. Unlike that, for example, if we uh, look at the requirements for the genital surgeries, um, which is, you know, the highest requirements are for that, that patient will be have to live in their gender identity for at least a year, be in hormones for at least a year and be signed off um, by three different professionals. So they're a hormone provider and uh, sometimes one, maybe two psychiatrists or psychologists. So there's a lot of screening uh, that goes into this uh, beforehand. And most of my patients, to be honest, they it's something it's been years before they've gotten to my operating table. I mean, the oldest patient I've operated on was 72, you know. So. My word. Yeah. That must have been some outcome afterwards, emotionally, never mind the physical end of things, for that person who yeah. was locked in that 
wrong body, if you'd like to say, for right. so long. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, that was one of my favorite patients I've had for sure. This was when I saw it on my list coming to see me, I thought 72, my goodness. But, you know, this was a very healthy transgender man. So this was a patient who was assigned female at birth, identified all his life as a man and was working as a farmer in rural Indiana. And what triggered this, which we see very typically, was the death of his mother. And once his mother died, he kind of felt well, he could come out and be, you know, in his own skin. And it was absolutely the most gratifying thing because he didn't, you know, he's a farmer in rural Indiana. He didn't have access to the internet. And so when we're going through the before and after pictures, you know, of how we can make him look, you know, make his chest look very masculine, his mind was absolutely blown, you know, and he's one of the happiest guys. He just kind of walked differently after the surgery and had a whole new lease of life. He changed his name to James. <laughs> and uh, he really did great, you know, he sailed through the surgery. So, so let's talk about man to woman. So mm-hmm. you have somebody who is biologically and the birth test says they are a man, but yet they are female. Mm-hmm. OK, so you start to take the hormones and board and you can uh, work to create breasts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So everybody responds differently to the hormones. And usually we tell patients, you look at your female relatives and that might give you a clue how you're going to respond. So a lot of patients will grow breasts once they once they begin on the... No surgery required? Um, Probably only about half of them ever go on to have surgery for their chest. Yeah. So that's good. And and, Mm -hmm. that doesn't take a huge intervention. But when we move down the body. Yeah. Um, So once the patient has been on hormones for at least a year, a patient may decide to have the feminizing surgery for their genitalia. So Um, what is that? So so that's, it usually takes me about four and a half or five hours. Depends who's working with me. I train residents, so we have to slow down if I'm training somebody. Uh, but usually about uh, four and a half or five hours, um, we do the surgery. Patients under general anesthetic, obviously. And what we do is we basically disassemble the parts down there and put them back together and create the vaginal canal, if that's what the patient uh, wants and needs for their gender identity, and create all the different parts while keeping the nerves intact so they're still, they should be fully functional. So they have sensation afterwards. Yeah, So you convert male genitalia into female. Yep. You are. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. A wonder worker, well. <laughs> may I say. And that feeling is there. Yeah, yeah. Every Everything should work. Obviously, it's a bit of time and the patient has to relearn it. And, you know, that was a big kind of learning curve for me. Initially, when I was doing the surgeries, I kind of realized, well, the surgery is the easy part. Is then afterwards, when yeah, I have a girl coming to me once she's healed three months later saying, well, now how do I use it? <laughs> you know, so we, we created a manual for that. Um, but, you know, so, use it or lose it. Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, they, they have to. to yeah, 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 yeah. Now, yeah. the other way around, Rob, Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. so we have then uh, born a woman, Bertert female, right. wants to become male. Right. Does that mean a mastectomy? Yeah, so oftentimes it does. So that's probably the most common gender affirmation or gender confirmation surgery we see going on worldwide. Um, and when when a um, female to male patient or transgender man starts to take testosterone, testosterone is a powerful drug. And it oftentimes, you know, they grow in the facial hair, they become quite muscular and it's often, and the voice drops and it's oftentimes very difficult. If that patient chooses to do so, they can also always pass, you know, uh, they can oftentimes pass very well as a man. But it's the chest is one of those things that can be very difficult to hide. So that's by far the most common surgery we do. And it's, it's really one of my favorite things to do because it's a, a, about a 90 minute surgery. It's an outpatient surgery and it's transformative for the patient. We kind of invented a little way of doing it. We call it masculoplasty uh, that we do in Indiana. So, um, yeah, that's a really gratifying surgery. Move down again once mm-hmm. more. Yeah. In uh, this particular scenario, female to male. Yeah. So for the female to male bottom surgery, when we call it when it's below yes. the waist. Yeah. Yeah. So the bottom surgery is a little bit more tricky uh, for a transgender man. And that's why we see not too much of it happening yet in the United States. It's always much easier as a general rule in surgery to take away than to add on. Mm. Uh, so that would be the first thing. And so the patient can either choose to use their own genitalia that's there that's kind of masculine certain parts of it will grow and that can be converted uh, into the male parts or we'll have to take in tissue from elsewhere in the body. And then the really tricky part of that, the real challenge is if that patient um, wants to stand to urinate, just lengthening um, the urethra, uh, that, that's that's pretty tricky to do. And oftentimes it takes a few different stages to do that surgery. So there's still a lot of work in a general sense and research to create a penis right. and all that goes along with it as well, test yeah. days, etc. That's Do you see that happening long term? Do you see evolution and research enabling that to happen? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that the first penis transplant happened in Baltimore, actually, we were just talking about transplants earlier, because a lot of the soldiers in the last war were stepping on devices and getting devastating injuries uh, because it would explode upwards. So that is not probably on the cards for transgender men, because if you think about it, you know, that's a lot of drugs to take, Mm. you know. So you're talking about there about a transplant that you know the way you have a, mm-hmm. somebody dies and they donate their organs yeah. would, would would you know penis and 
Yeah, the, the first one's been done Test in Baltimore. Days, yeah. yeah, so yeah, so okay. it's been done. But we think probably because there's always a shortage of supply there. So probably mm. in the long run, you know, tissue engineering, 3D printing, that sort of thing is, is probably the way to go where you can use the patient's own tissue and somehow grow to the create parts. Again. Yeah. And so make it function, you know, yeah. for urinary purposes. What about sexual purposes? Well, for right now, um, for the sexual purposes, that's a problem because we have to put in implants, you know, so usually we're talking two, maybe three surgeries up to a year apart. Um, and oftentimes the patients, up to 80% of the patients will have complications or things don't work kind of just quite as well as we hope. So definitely a lot of work to be done for the guys. Come back to the point on either side when it's over and they come through. You mentioned the farmer there. What age did you say? He was 72, oh, yeah. You yeah. yeah. it, it must... Look, I can only imagine what it means to the person, the recipient of this new life, so yeah. to speak, this new identity, their proper gender. What yeah. about you? You must get the greatest job satisfaction. I do. I do. And in fairness, you know, I think everybody has it. You're sort of, you have those d- days where you're like, what am I doing? Or, you know, getting out to start the car minus 20 like we have in Indiana, you know, uh, on, a, on a winter's morning. And um, the very nice thing, one of the great things about social media is my patients will post their pictures and tag me in it. And, you know, to see them like going to the beach for the first time with their families, it's absolutely heartwarming you know and they're really you know the nicest most grateful patients I've ever had and you know to be honest it's, it's embarrassing the, the um, how thankful they are after the surgery yeah. We're getting questions I ain't surprised right. for you uh, Sive this afternoon Dr Sive Gallagher keep them coming to us and I'm, I'm going to get to them in a few moments you'll stay with me will you a Absolutely, few moments because yeah. I, I have more yeah. to talk to you about I really do yeah. 086 658 WhatsApp text or you can call in on 1850-715-958 and I will put them to Sive just one thing before we break Sive the name Sive like we no bother yeah. to us here in Ireland yeah what about in America? Oh. How and I'm going to spell it. Your S I D H B H Gallagher. What do they call you? Yeah. Uh, so Sid Sid above <laughs> the first S I D. Sometimes they'll stop at Sid Sid above. Uh, you know, it's some sort of variation of that. Yeah. But, you could uh, be called anything. Yeah. But uh, there you go. I'll tell you one thing. She's hugged and kissed and loved. I'm sure by all the people. How many procedures have you carried out? Uh, I'd say it's a, about 400 now. Over 400 patients. Remarkable, like yeah. Doctor Sive Gallagher from. Louth Village in County Louth, who went to the Louis School in Dundalk, is a leading light in our field. She's my special guest on Late Lunch and she's staying with me. Dr. Saeed Gallagher, you've certainly prompted a lot of questions with us on Late Lunch this afternoon. Let me try and uh, get through as many of them as I can coming to us. Thank you indeed for sending them in to us. Um, Can you ever reproduce following this surgery? Well, so that's something a patient has to think about before they ever go on the hormones, because oftentimes from a reproductive point of view, going on those hormones may do a lot of damage, particularly to a transgender woman, so a male to female patient. So you do have to think about that in advance. And then there's options such as uh, freezing your sperm or freezing your eggs. Unfortunately, not a lot of insurances will pay for that, so they're kind of pricey. But it's something the patient can do to preserve their fertility, but they just have to think about it ahead. Jerry, will you ask Saif, has anyone ever regretted 
undertaking the surgery. Yeah. Well, so that's something you're obviously, you know, as a doctor, you want to make sure you do no harm. So that's something we watch very carefully and we follow our patients for quite a bit out after surgery. So I've had one case of migraine in my 400 plus patients, and that was a patient that seems to have been misdiagnosed, unfortunately, by two psychiatrists. So it is inevitable. It will happen. That patient, um, we removed their breasts and they weren't interested in having any sort of reconstructive surgery. That wasn't on the cards. But it's something you think very seriously about. We think if the guidelines are followed and the patient goes through appropriate screening, the rates of regret are less than 1%. So it's a lot more rare than we used to worry about. Um, and, you know, but it's something we do certainly take very seriously and watch. Now, you operate from Indiana in the Midwest in the States. Yeah. Would be regarded as pretty conservative? It's extremely conservative. Mm, it is indeed. Yeah. So yeah. this question is timely and appropriate. Mm-hmm. Jerry. does she get many trolls or criticism about what she does? Yeah, I certainly do. I mean, Indiana is a very conservative state. And I, when I was moving back there to start a practice, I was pretty sceptical about whether or not I was going to be able to do this practice. But the reality is, it seems to be a conservative estimate. Six out of a thousand people are transgender. There's transgender folks everywhere, whether it be rural Indiana or whatever it is. So I had some concerns when I was setting this up in the hospital. It was kind of me coming in and forcing it on the, the nursing staff. And initially, there was a little bit of resistance. But I'll tell you what it is, is it's just education. You know, it's just when people sometimes, you know, because when you meet somebody when you're young, one of the first things you think you should know well, is this a boy or a girl I'm talking to? And then when you're in a situation where maybe it's not too clear, it can be kind of scary. And most people are just afraid of saying the wrong thing. But sometimes people can have a very strong reaction to it, can even come out in violence. You know, so I would say it's really education. What we did in the hospital was bring in people, you know, very articulate young people uh, from the transgender community who came in and talked to the nurses. And now what I've seen, and it would really warm your heart, the nurses are some of the strongest advocates we have. Mm. You know, and they, it's one of these things that was kind of put on them. They didn't volunteer to be in this practice, but it's such a happy time for patients. They absolutely love being part of this surgery. Uh, Jerry, uh, will you put a question to save me? I will indeed. Is this procedure carried out in Ireland? Now, before she answers, I can tell you she's had a conversation. I know this in recent days with Simon Harris, the Minister for Health. Yeah. Um, So unfortunately, not all the procedures are available here in Ireland. In Dublin, um, there is one plastic surgeon uh, doing top surgery or mastectomies uh, for patients that will be for the female to male patients. The HSE does cover these surgeries, but patients right now are sent abroad, usually to London in order to get them. Um, So I did have a great conversation uh, with Simon Harris. He's very interested in bringing things up to kind of international standards of care for it. Um, the patients and to that end I volunteered my services I don't know what that would look like whether it's teaching or maybe trying to get the waiting lists down Um, but it's something I'd absolutely love to do I've been out of the country 12 years you know so it would be Watch this space you never know what's going to happen down the road you have the ear of the right man anyway So let's talk a little more general. You're from Louth Village How many siblings have you? Uh, So there's four of us uh, two boys two girls 
And uh, you're away. Anyone else away from home? Yeah, there's uh, a brother in Portland. I was just out seeing him last weekend. Portland, Which Portland? Oregon. 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 Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I have a sister in Abu Dhabi who's a teacher. Oh God, you're an international crew altogether. Yeah. But there's one of you at home anyway. Yeah, there's one. There's the brother Keen. And who's Portland. at home in Loud Village? Um, the mummy and the daddy still are. And yeah. who are they? What's their names? Yeah. Um, Minjo and Billy. So. Well, uh, they may be listening today and if they are, I want to say yeah. hello to them yeah, this afternoon. Yeah. Delighted to have your yeah. company. Your daughter is fantastic I just love her um, also I, I just wanted to mention something you talked at an LGBTQ event in Belfast at the weekend uh, what was the feedback like there yeah well so that was it was specifically a trans pride event you okay. know? so we're, we're now in June mm. you, you know which is LGBT uh, pride month and uh, that event was a lovely event it was one of the first of its kind um, just specifically for the transgender uh, community because you know the thing is when I was growing up in rural Ireland in the 1980s, I certainly wouldn't have had the courage. If I was transgender, mm. I wouldn't have, first of all, I wouldn't have known what it was or how I was feeling. And secondly, I wouldn't have had the courage to come out. You know, so I think what we're going to see constantly as public awareness improves and people are just kind of more comfortable in being themselves, we're going to, you're going to find there's a lot more transgender people out there than we ever thought before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a message, in, uh, they're coming in thick and fast here. Uh, Jerry, uh, is that lady single? You're not to answer this question. I'm just reading the, the, the comment from the listener. That accent is driving me mad in a really good way. You have a lovely accent. That's just a comment from a listener this afternoon. A friend of mine has sent me a message. She knows who she is. I'll see her Wednesday. I won't mention her name. She's looking for those hormones. You know the ones you talked about uh, that help with breast augmentation? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll see you on Wednesday. We'll take this up a little further. No names there with that one. What do you do in Indiana? Like Indiana, Mm -hmm. I mentioned the conservative nature. What's it like compared to home? Is there any comparison? Uh, Well, so basically when I'm in Indiana, I, I tend to be all work. And I, I, for some reason, just for whatever reason, a lot of my friends have ended up in Miami. So I tend to um, fly most weekends, I'm not on call, down to Miami. So I can, it's, it seems like a strange setup, but I absolutely love it. I, I go and get the plane at half five every Friday, uh, two hours on a plane down to Miami, get my paperwork done. And then kind of when I'm down there, I relax, I kind of, you know, go to the beach, run, do a lot of kite surfing, a bit of socialising down there. So, so. your weekends are off now? Yeah, it's yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I'm on call, you know, okay. but it's about one in nine weekends, mm. you know. But so. you are intense during the week with num- numbers yeah. of procedures every single yeah, day. I, I, I know me. this. Yeah. You like to run? I do. I Does do. it relieve? Is there stress? Is there big stress with this? Um, I mean, I think every job is a fair amount of stress. It's not the surgery itself. It's all the other stuff that goes along with surgery. Uh, just dealing with people, you know, yourself. So, mm. um, yeah, I do run. I try to run about seven miles every day. And as we come into the good weather, I, I'm able to do that most evenings. Yeah. So and it's just for my head. You yeah. know, it does more for my head than anything else. What do you miss most, even though you love your job? You really do. And, and obviously, when you love your job, it's no burden to carry in your life. And you put in these hours and do this wonderful work. What do you miss most about home? 
Uh, well, sure, it's it's the people. It's it's definitely the people, you know, because home is always home, and it, you you get on a lot better. Like, you know, it's over a year now since I, since I've been home, and just coming back, um, you know, just the ethos, the way people behave, you know, the crack, all of that stuff is is so much better. So definitely, without any hesitation, it's it's the people I miss the most. Think back to when you did that leave insert, and you did yeah. that first year in the matter when you were really a trendsetter, because there were no women involved in yeah. surgery, even in two thousand and six, and that's very. Very recent. Look what's happened in this country in those years, in the intervening years. Even with the community you spoke to yesterday, you know, the vote for the marriage, the abortion, everything that's happened. It's are, are you aware of that being abroad? Uh, yeah, definitely, changes. definitely. It it doesn't surprise me. You know, Irish people are very progressive. They educate themselves. You know, I'm always amazed when I came home when I was doing this stuff. Uh, initially, I would meet neighbours or you know friends of my parents who I wouldn't expect to know any of this terminology, and they did, and they were using all the right terminology and talking to me about gender dysphoria. You know, so it doesn't surprise me that the you know the Irish population are a kind tolerant uh, race, you know, and it, it really doesn't surprise me that we're, we're seeing so much progress mm. happening. Back to so. what you missed, the food. Yeah. Did you mention the food? You love the home cooking oh, and all yeah. that goes with food around here as well, yeah? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like all the, the sausages and the fry and all that. <laughs> yeah, I'm poisoned. And she's <laughs> like, a doctor and a surgeon yeah. and she's saying that today, but look, it's, it's, yeah. I, I know, I know what you're getting yeah. at as well. Um Look, it's been great to have you with us on Late Lunch. I'm thrilled I got the opportunity to meet you and talk to you at at last. You are a shining example to so many young people who head into exams tomorrow and you've gone a direction that you never expected. I think that's a message we should give them as well. Tomorrow is is. and the following days are a point in time only. But Dr. Saib Gallagher from Loud Village, continued success here and uh, please God, someday we'll see you uh, working back home here in an aspect of your work as well. But for the moment in Indiana. Enjoy life and thanks again. Thanks for having me. Fancy some new footwear for the summer? Well, get across to the LMFM Facebook page where there's an opportunity to win a 50 euro footwear voucher every day this week. The competition is to celebrate the new summer range at Ireland's largest shoe store, Shoe City in Castle Blaney. And what a place it is there. So LMFM Facebook page, 50 euro voucher for Shoe City. Castle Blaney. Check it out straight away. Now, Anne Carlin is on the line. She was a guest of mine on Late Lunch recently, but she's on today to talk about an entirely different topic, but it's in the Tully Allen, the Glen area, Old Bridge just outside Drogheda, the new walkway there. Anne, good afternoon. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for taking our call. Now, first of all, will you remind our listeners, this is the new walkway. How long is it open? Where does it go? Just fill us in on that first. Oh, yeah, um, the walkway was officially opened by Anne and Elana on the 31st of March this year. Um, so it's only about two months now officially opened. Um, and it takes, it, con- it continues a, li- a loop from the nature walk in Tenny Tenny-wo- in Hall all the way up to Tully Allen Village. And okay. just recently as well, we've been accepted as part of the new Irish Camino, which is absolutely wonderful news for the village and the surrounding area. Brilliant. So, look, it's mm-hmm. all good and the opening, but there was a fanfare of that. People are loving the walk as well and it's well used. But there's an issue. Tell me. Yeah, unfortunately, um, around the same time as we were contacted by uh, the Camino, the great news about the Camino, um, we were also contacted by Creelshire, the Forestry Authority, and then... Um, 
they have said because of the continued use of the path by some mountain bikers um, on a health and safety ground, um, they might have no ish or no option but to close the walkway be- just to ensure the safety of the walkers. Um, the walk has, has become so popular, it is now home to so many walkers, um, young and old, and unfortunately, Quilcia, as we do to the committee, fear that an accident may happen if a cyclist collides with a pedestrian. So it's quite clear, this is a walkway. It is not for bikers. Absolutely. And Jerry, I don't know if you've had the time to do the walk yourself, but some of the track is very, very narrow and there are some steep drops. Mm. So we are very, very fearful that um, a cyclist may collide um, with a child and, you know, that serious injuries will occur. Now, it is clearly signed that it is not for mountain bike use. And only this morning, um, Quilcia have contacted me again and they have reiterated their willingness to cooperate with um, a local mountain bike group in the area as they're aware of and they acknowledge the interest in the sport locally. And they are um, eager to go as far to designate an area to users, a specific area. And this would be further down on Towny Hall in an area that isn't as used by pedestrian walkers. Okay, so you have uh, mountain bikers using this pathway at the moment when they shouldn't mm-hmm. be. No bikers mm-hmm. are, no bicycles are allowed on it. Is that the bottom line? None. Absolutely no Okay, bicycles. no bikes, whether you're a mountain bike or any other type of bike, should not be used on this new walkway. Can I read a statement? John Griffithy was on to us from the Boyne Mountain Bike Club uh, uh-huh. in relation to this, and he feels mm-hmm. that uh, the mountain bikers are being the subject of a media assassination at the moment because of what's going on at Townley Hall, and he says the majority of bikes don't use the walkway including his bike club who use uh, the other area of the scenic spot that's another area of Townley Hall he feels mm-hmm. all bikers are being tarred with the one brush when it's a minority most of whom don't belong to any club at all who are at fault he also says he's a bit disappointed that his and other mountain bike clubs weren't approached about this before it hit the media have you a response to that um, well I completely agree with John's statement there and um, I actually wasn't aware of um, the Boeing um, group, to be fair, and, but we were made aware that there is another um, group called the Zero Gravity Mountain Bike Group. Yes. And I've made several attempts to contact them, as I know have Creelsha. And as I said, we are aware that everybody is singing off the same hymn sheet here, that everybody is horrified that there is um, a possibility that this beautiful walkway would close because we do know that it is a very small group of people who are showing a blatant disregard for the rules. Mm. And this, and I know that um, the organised mountain bike groups are equally as horrified. And I agree completely with John in so far as that they shouldn't be, you know, everybody shouldn't be tarred with the same bush because it is a very, very small number okay. of people who are, who are doing this. And we would really like to engage with all of the groups because we feel that a united front will help, you know, to stop. to just. Mm. And it is only a certain very small group of individuals, but because of these actions this will have implications that will hurt an awful lot of people, Jerry. Mm. And there's an awful lot of work that has gone into this, I understand as well. Isn't it the same with so many things in life, and that it is 
the tiny minority who cause grief for the majority. And I, look, I haven't got to it yet. I will. But Louise, my producer, has been there and others have been telling me how beautiful it is and what a wonderful walkway it is. And it would be an absolute crying shame if Quilche had to pull the plug on this. It's going to disenfranchise so many people of all ages as well. So I'm saying today to anyone listening, bikers, wherever... Get off that walkway. Leave it alone. Don't destroy it for the majority. And if there's anybody listening who knows about the Zero Gravity Club, uh, we know well of John Griffith's Boyne Mountain Bike uh, Club. They're a wonderful club and they provide an outlet for so many young people and people of all ages. But do you know anyone in the Zero Gravity Club? Or if you're listening today, anyone who's a member, will you touch base and sit down and let's sort this thing out once and for all? It'd be a shocking blow for you, Anne, wouldn't it? And for uh, the area. Well, not just for me personally. Yes, Terry, I know, I, I know. Say, like this will have um, huge implications for Tully Allen School, for the surrounding area. And, and for the walkway now that is part of the Camino, if the walkway is closed, that loop no longer exists. This has massive repercussions throughout the entire Leinster area, Jerry. And I just think, as you say, a huge amount of work went into this to put in an amenity that is useful to so many for so many wonderful reasons, you know what I mean? And so many people stop me and say, you know, for their own health and well-being, it has been a huge, huge addition. And for on that, we are asking, please, to please engage with us and please, like, to sit down with Quilcher. And because without Quilcher, this could not have happened, Jerry. And, you know, they absolutely... From get-go, they were willing to come on board at their own expense and they have been absolutely wonderful. So, you know, on a personal level, I feel that if the people involved would just sit down and listen to our side of the argument, perhaps they don't realise the implications of this walkway closing, that there's 500 children in that school, in Tullyall National School, who walk that walk now, who never could before, Jerry. And if it closes, that's the end of it. It will never be revisited again because, and I can understand Creelsh's reservations because of the health and safety. Nobody wants to see a child hurt, Cherry. Absolutely nobody wants to see a child hurt. That was not the reason we built Mm. this walkway. No, and somebody will be unless cyclists exist. So let's get everybody round the table. If you're involved or know anybody cycling out there, please tell them, no, cycling is not allowed on this walkway. Get together. We can put you in touch with Anne and the Quilcher people as well and sort this one out and keep that wonderful uh, new walkway open. And thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you very much for giving me the time, Jerry. And again, I, I just um, would like to ask all the listeners to just please, if you do see the bikers, to just discourage. We are not encouraging anybody to get into any altercations with anybody, but to just please make people aware of the dangers of cycling on that walkway. Thanks indeed, and You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Tuesday afternoon. Just looking ahead to next weekend and Sunday, June the 9th, Balorgan Park, lovely place. Yes, it's the County Loud Agricultural Show, a day not to be missed and everything going on there from agriculture, Bonnie Baby, arts, crafts, food, trade stands, children's zone and so much more. It's not just about the farming, the agricultural show. Free for children to attend and free car parking. If you'd like to win some entrance tickets with complimentary food on the day for gourmet goodies, check out LMFM's Facebook page and make a note of the day. That's next Sunday, June 9th, Belurgan Park. 
for the annual County Louth Agricultural Show. And I just want to let you know that a local accordion orchestra based in Mulla in Cavan with musicians from Mead, Cavan, Dublin and Kildare have just gone and won two first places in the World Music Festival, beating off competition from Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Denmark, Poland and a rake of countries, including the UK and Spain. And well done to them. Congratulations uh, to the musicians in that orchestra for the big win recently. What else have I to tell you? Oh yeah, the uh, competition. And we have a €100 Euro one, for all, for one for all voucher to give away each day this week on Late Lunch. And that's to celebrate the Windsor, Clonny, Nissan and Peugeot 192 Open Day this coming Saturday. And if you entered, and everyone who enters this competition today goes into another draw on the day, we'll be there with our live outside broadcast to win a family pass to Dublin Zoo. But today's question was this. If you were in Clonee and you set off for Kilkenny, how many kilometres would you rack up on the car, on the clock on the car? 127, 130 or 131. To the nearest kilometre I was looking and to the nearest kilometre, it's 130 we were looking for. It's 129.6 to be precise, but you look, that's 130 in any man or woman's book. So let me see. A number of people got the 130. Uh, the €100 fund. Uh, one for all voucher is going today to Grania McCardle from Dundalk well done to you Grania and we'll have more 100 euro vouchers to give away thanks to the wonderful people at uh, the uh, garage the Windsor Clonny Nissan and Peugeot garage and don't forget their big uh, day is this coming weekend it's Saturday the 192 open day and LMFM will be there and uh, talking about being there we've been there and will be there again this year. What am I talking about? Yes, Team Carry. It all began in 2010. It's year 10. And we're with them once again this year. And after the break, we're going to hear about Team Carry. They're a great team. The Carries I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm delighted to say they're both here with me today. David and Aileen Carry. It's great to see you. And thank you for dropping in to us once again on Late Lunch. You're very welcome to the show. One is the Sheriff. The other's the Deputy. You're the Sheriff, Aileen, are you? I am indeed, yeah. <laughs> it's the Sheriff, the boss. That's the real boss, uh, Jerry. I'm only the Deputy. David, <laughs> you have it right in life. Well, well, well. Can I believe that we all sit here... 10 years on from this thing started and this idea you took to us David Carey here on Late Lunch and we were really starting out finding our feet with this show as well will you remind our listeners how or why did it all begin? Why and all that's um, I suppose the question um, a lot of people asked it actually it all started Team Carey started actually a year before we actually got up and run it was 2009 Mm. and uh, I would have had a long, successful athletic career and I was coming to my end of my own athletic career and uh, I was asked to pace the, the Dublin Marathon, the, uh, the three-hour group for the Dublin Marathon. And that was the first time that uh, I would have been going up to run a marathon for the, for the first time that I wasn't being competitive. It was to help each other, other people reach their goals because prior to that I was, you know, trying to win the bloody marathon every year. And uh, I did manage. I finished ninth in a whole year and twelfth in another. Terrific achievement. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. But this sort of changed your perspective, did it? It did. It was the first time I was lining up in a marathon, not for myself, but to help others. So that was in 2009. Then in 2010, um, I just didn't want to walk away from the sport. I, want, I actually wanted to put something back in. And... Uh, I had a light bulb moment. I was sitting in the Genoa below in West Street, narrow West Street in Drawley. <laughs> Runny egg and chips. Yeah, you can't beat it. 
And I had a light bulb moment and uh, I, I, Aileen was with me and I says to her, I have it. I says, I always wanted to do something. I don't know what it is, but I think I know what I want to do now. I said, I'm going to set up my own team carry marathon running group. Train people that has never run marathons before to do a marathon. And I said, you're doing it. And if looks could kill Jerry, you want to see the luck she gave me. <laughs> is, is that a true story? Yeah, it is a true he's, story. He's not pulling our legs or anything, Aileen. No, no, that, that yeah. is true, yeah. That's what he said one day. I didn't pass too much remark because there was an awful lot of mad ideas come out of that head down through the years. But anyway, it wasn't so mad because he did do it and ten years later, here we are. And you did it as well. You hadn't you hadn't no. run a marathon up. Did you no. run yourself? Yes. Oh, I did. I, I kind of started running a few years before that, just running hmm. for health reasons, just to be healthy yes. and enjoy it. And I was kind of up to half marathons. And then I said, ah, no, I don't think I could put two of them half marathons together. <laughs> but um, we did. You did indeed. And the rest is history. And How many had you that first year? Uh, I, I then contacted him. I was chatting to you, Jerry, yep. uh, in late lunch. And you said, David, this is a wonderful idea. I said, if we're going to launch it anyway, you're going to launch it with me uh, in the late lunch. You would only start in 2009. That's right. And I'd been glued into your show when you started off because I would have known you from being a sports broadcaster, mm. etc. Through the years with LMFM. And uh, you had a new show, and I really liked the show. And I, th- I, I actually think I had a roti or rang or whatever it was. He says, David, I love it. I like it. I need you on my show. Let's put it out there. Let's launch it. Let's see how it goes. It's an ambitious plan, an ambitious idea. But So let's let's see how it goes. So you invited me onto the show. That was May uh, 2010. And I came in here. I had nothing. I had nobody, no runners, no nothing. Came here, uh, launched it, told people what we were doing, designing a plan, um, and I knew one of the motivational things that I would have to do, it can't just all a bit be running. It has to be a bigger package. So I knew then if I if cooperate at the charity end of it, raising funds for charity, people could be actually motivated then even more, you know, not only for running, but to raise funds for charities. Yeah. And uh, launched it here with you in uh, 2010. Uh, a few texts come into your show. That's right. Went up the train and on the first night there was 12 people above. And I said, oh, what are we going to do all these people? There's 12 people here already. So, lo and behold, 2010, we started off with 12 people. There was 18 the following week. There was 20 the next week, 25. And in 2010, for the Dublin Marathon, after 22-week training, we had 38 people running the marathon. Now, the key was this, Jerry. Right, I knew we were on to something special because out of the 38 people that was lining up for the double marathon that year, 37 and was running the first half of a marathon. And I knew, I says, we have something special here. This is where it's all, you know, yes. going to take off. And it did take off. At its peak, what was the highest number you had in any one year? We actually got that many people by year four or five. We had to limit the numbers down to 150. <laughs> because you couldn't just call. We couldn't. And we had 154 uh, finished uh, 2014 Dublin Marathon. Mm. So we kind of limit our numbers now every year and we're still doing between anything between probably 110 to 120 people. How many do you reckon Marge, uh, Virgin Marathon runners have you taken to a marathon in total? Well, Miss Stephanie, what, we were what number? Eileen? Yeah, we were just talking about that on the way. Uh, how many? We never actually sat down yeah. and walked it roughly. out. But just roughly, we'd say nearly 500. Nearly, roughly, in between. People okay. who never did a marathon in their lives. 
Gary Kelly's centre became the focus of your fundraising as well. Uh, yes, and um, I, I remember uh, vividly walking across on 2010 from the Genoa and I knew Paddy Dwyer had been involved with the centre. He was chairperson and I went in and I told him what we were doing. I was thinking of doing it for the Gary Kelly centre. And he says, you've got to go and see Anne Tracy. So I called Anne and went into uh, Anne above in the centre few weeks later and I told her that we were, when we were running we were going to be raising funds for the Gary Kelly Centre and uh, she said I like the fact that you're raising funds for the Gary Kelly Centre but she says I think you're mad in what you're doing she says I don't know how you're going to do it but she said if we can help out in any shape or form we will so that's initially how it all began began did you put a figure over the years on what Gary Kelly has benefited from your cruise fundraising have you roughly an idea on that how much? Uh, overall I do know uh, the numbers I love the numbers Jerry. and uh, we've 935 people has started mm. with Team Carry and f- started the Dublin Marathon and finished the Dublin Marathon mm. uh, we've raised over 400,000 for charity uh, and about 175,000 going primarily to, to the, the Gary, to Gary Kelly it's a wonderful story Look, we have a few more minutes and I want to play it with a special song for you as well. You're here today to launch Team Carry 2019. It's happening where? In the Grove tomorrow evening? We're launching in the Grove tomorrow night and it's a celebration year. It's a celebration year. And what we've done is we've, we've invited everyone that's ever run with us for the last nine years to come on and run with us one more time. This is their lap of honour. This is our party year, our big celebration. It's over after this year? It's fit, Yeah, well, this is our last year. We feel... Uh, we just feel that where did we go after 10 yeah. years? I think it's, it's remarkable. Mm, mm. You, you, look, may I say, Aileen, it's been a big ask on both of you and it's taken up a lot of your lives, hasn't it, as well? Oh, it has. Like, and, and I'm not complaining. No, you've loved every you know, minute of it. Absolutely. But like, we just felt, wh- where do you go after all of this then? And we felt 10 was a milestone. The right time to do and it. And the right time to do it, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I'll miss you. Do you know this? I will really miss you. Look, at, I know there may be other things related to Team Carry beyond this, but the formal marathon organisation aiming for Dublin new people yeah. is over. This is the final year of Team Carry Year 10, and you heard it from the carries yourself this afternoon on, on radio. I'll be with you. I said this. I'll be with you again this year. We'll feature some of your runners and I'll be there on the final day. Yeah, and Jerry, you've been there for, like from day one. You were there in 2010. You followed the team every year since 2010. You would have heard with the wonderful stories, people coming on to the late lunch here and uh, over the years. You were at the finish line in 2010. You were at the finish line last year. And, uh, you know, you've been a tremendous support. And, you know, it's... There's more to Team Carry. It's it's just a wider community, special people supporting what we do the whole time. And, and I think that's what makes it wonderful. And we loved every minute of it. And we're going to love it even more this year. <laughs> this year is going to be extra, extra special. Anyway, thank you for joining me. Launch tomorrow night in the Grove. You've heard all about it if you've been part of it before. And look forward. 7.30 in the Grove 730 in the Grove tomorrow night. Be there, everybody. Let's get out. Everybody who's taken part and get involved in this year. Look forward to the 10th year. And there's only one way to leave it today. I love this song because every time I hear it, I think of you two and I think of Team Carrie. It's Linda's Varn and they are running for home after year 10. Thanks so much to the Carries. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Thanks Jerry. a million.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.